Hey friends, Ryan Smith here, Pastor at Common Thread Church. Welcome to the Threadcast. Uh, this is kind of our version of what it means to go deeper into our topics, to challenge each other to grow, to think. Um, kind of our version of a sermon, if you will. Um, but just really meant to be a, a, a resource for you guys to, to use, uh, to think through, to challenge each other. You challenge me. But uh, at our own convenience, right? Listen to it on the car, in the car, uh, while you're taking a walk, whatever it might be. But we are beginning a new series today, and I'm kind of excited about it. Um, we are entitled it From the Inside Out, and uh, it's kind of the subtitle is Emotions and the Psalms. And so we're going to be looking at different emotions that God gave us meant, that are meant to um, be a, a source for us to to wrestle with who we are, what we feel, um, all those things. That idea that, that we are are more than just those crazy things that pop up every now and right? Um, they're complicated, they're confusing, um, exhilarating, exhausting, all those things, right? They're, they're the emotions that, that sometimes we feel like we have them, they bring them closer to God, but then we have other ones, they, they take us away from God almost to the point of sin. Um, we don't know what to do with those. And our goal um, through this series is to challenge you to accept the idea that those emotions were God-given, that those emotions are meant to be felt, that there is um, there is ways for us to, to feel them, to express them, but more importantly, you know, wrestle with the, the proper ways. And so we, in our uh, description, we talked about, we asked, are there godly and ungodly ways to manage our emotions? And that sounds a little uh, over the top, but I think there are, you know, there are ways that where our emotions are meant to, to be felt at their core, even anger, right? The idea that anger is even something that is inside of us. Um, but what do we do with it? And so, um, so that's what we're going to do. Um, but today, we are starting off our series. Um, we had a great uh, today. I'm, I'm recording this on Sunday afternoon. Um, this this morning here in the states, we had a great Zoom gathering for you in the UK. It was in the afternoon. Uh, conversation about joy. And so, I want to uh, kind of extend that conversation, go a little deeper. Um, a lot of what was talked about in our um, uh, Zoom gathering, our family gathering, is what we're going to kind of cover here today. But I want to begin again with the the reading of Psalm. Uh, we're in Psalm 33. I want to start off with the first three verses. It says, "Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise Him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to Him on the ten string lyre. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy." I don't know that I'm going to have any skillful playing of any 10-string lyre, 9-string lyre. I might be able to do a 3-string lyre, but I doubt that. I can't even play the triangle. But this idea of joy, uh, how do we express joy, right? Psalm 33 is a song of joy and a call to worship, uh, to assemble in, in celebration. Now, in the Hebrew, all pronouns in this psalm are plural, meaning that this joy is that some, is this joy is something that happens with others, okay. Um, the assembly is encouraged to express their joy with various kinds of instruments. Any and every instrument can be an instrument of joy, right? God deserves the best praise we can offer. But how can we express joy if we don't feel joyful, right? It's kind of a conversation or the question that we asked this morning. 
And we talked about that our circumstances um, are always changing. Um, And so if our joy is in our circumstances, then joy will be fleeting. But the challenge that we talked about today and that we want to talk about this week is that our joy, uh, that we must find our joy in God. And so Psalm 33, we're going to use Psalm 33 to kind of explore us how to find joy in something more grounded than circumstances that is, which is Yahweh. And so... Uh, There's four points that I want us to kind of look at through this psalm. And um, point number one is this, is that we find joy by remembering God's voice from the past. We find joy by remembering God's voice from the past. And so we start off with uh, 33 verses 4 through 9. It says this, For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. So first off, when we, we hear the phrase word of the God, when we hear the phrase word of God, we, we think of the Bible, right? We think of his scripture being written down. But actually, in this passage, it's a reference uh, back to before there was the Bible, back to before there was a written word. There was actually God's voice. God's voice is, is literally his word that comes forth is, 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 is his voice in action and in, in events. And here the psalmist is trying to get us to remember the incredible things that God has done in the past by simply speaking them. And that remembrance will uh, is meant to invoke joy in our hearts, right? The idea that we we remember things of the past that, that God has done, the incredible things that He's created, and that is in turn is what brings us joy, right? The Jews practiced this when they took the Passover meal; they were celebrating um, the horrific, the crazy event when the firstborn were killed in Egypt, and um, the Spirit passed over their their families and saved their own children. We practice it in Easter, right? We practice it when we um, when we uh, decorate eggs and when we dress up and we have all those things and we go to church and all those incredible things. But we're we're celebrating what has been done in the past, you know, Christ's death, burial, and, and most important, His resurrection. That we celebrate that event, what has happened in the past, so that we can have joy in the present, in the future. We also practice it uh, when we take communion. Uh, the same thing is that, that that we are proclaiming something that has been done in the past. Something we unite in in the past, but it gives us hope. It gives us joy um, for for the present. And so, this first point is challenging. Uh, is challenging us to see the secret of joy is to take our focus off our current circumstances and ourselves, and to put it firmly upon God and His goodness. That we see the incredible things that He has done in the past, and it allows us to find joy in the presence. And I want you to hear that when we talk about current circumstances, sometimes we're just referencing when there's bad things happening. But what happens when there's really good things happening, right? What, what you know, sometimes we can even get a, a, a high off of, of great things happening. And there is this sense that we were talked to that um, 
that Melissa brought forth today, this idea of the roller coaster and the train analogy. And I think that's beautiful. And the idea that the joy is this steady path, right? It's not the roller coaster ups and downs, but joy is a steady path. Even, and so we, we think about that in the bad times, but even in the good times, sometimes our highs can get us too high, right? And that sounds kind of silly, but it, it, when they get too high, then it's actually that joy becomes our drug. You know that circumstance becomes our drug, and so so even so in the in the lowest of lows and the highest of highs, we stay on that steady train track of of recognizing that that God, um, His presence is is faithful in all those things, and so um, this is what allows us um, allows us to um, to find joy in the present. And so what I want you to do right now is just to kind of stop. And I want you to name all the things that you can praise God for, according to verses 4 through 9. And just think, how do those things about God bring you joy? Right? And so maybe you need to pause this this podcast, this threadcast, and um, maybe think through that. What are the things that you can praise God for, according to verses 4 through 9? Make that list. And how does that bring joy to you? What's kind of interesting, I think this this practice is kind of what helped the martyrs endure suffering. You know, um, Colt brought that up today. This idea that the, 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 the there's there's stories of our past where martyrs would face their death and they would face it with an incredible amount of calm and peace. And I'd like to suggest that I believe that they were holding on to those things in the past that they had seen, that they experienced, that they'd heard um, God do. Um, and it allowed them to do the impossible, to face fear and death with peace, and may I even say with joy, that they are focusing on God's actions in the past. The second thing, the second point that I want us to, to, to wrestle with today is that we find joy by looking for God's plan in the present. That we find joy by looking for God's plan in the present. And this is a short reading, but this is a Psalm 33, pick up in verse 10. It says, the Lord foils. I love that word, foils. Uh, the Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts, foils and thwarts. Man, what incredible words being used here. The, the Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations right this is this is where psalm shifts from language from the past to language in the present right that he says that god messes up the plans of the superpower nations right he 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 thwarts those plans that are being done by by the governing powers or by the people that seem like they have the force but yet his plans are immovable right that they stand firm that those are the things that 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 things are going to come and go there's going to be powers out there but in the present god's word god's presence god's essence remains immovable you know jesus was the perfect example of this um of what it means to rest in that um so we get from the writer of hebrews and hebrews um 12 verses uh, 1 and 2. Yeah, I'm going to do 1 and 2. I've got 1 through 3, but I think I'm just going to do 1 and 2 up here. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, right? And this is where um, we get the, the language of all those those he, uh, people of faith. He was saying that those people, that they are, they are, they surround us, even though they're gone, they surround us now. Let us throw off everything that hinders 
and this sin that so easily entangles and and that 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 hinders that the things that hinders us and the sin I think that's fear I think that's that the idea of what it means to have those things that are trying to steal our our joy um and it says and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us and pay attention to verse 2 fixing our eyes on Jesus why because he's the pioneer and perfecter of faith for the joy set before him right that's the joy that is in the present right now is is recognizing that that the Romans and all the things that are going on around him that he recognizes that the immovable God is with him and he endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God and so this idea of what it means to see joy by looking at God's plan in the present, Jesus lived this out in that moment when he could have been a whole heap of a mess, right? Um, he was who he was, and he endured the cross. So Jesus saw the joy set before him in the present. You know, And sometimes, I think we need to be honest here, sometimes God's plans or plan seems hidden and unseen. And this is kind of the movie of the, I don't know if this is a kind of an old movie, I don't know if you've seen it, the, the movie Signs, right? Uh, it's a film about a pastor named Graham Hess who loses his faith after his wife dies in an auto accident. And then Reverend Hess resigns from his church because he no longer believes in God. And as the movie unfolds, uh, complete with an alien invasion of Earth, Graham suddenly sees how things that look random, like random accidents, are part of a larger plan. He realizes that God does have a plan, and that the things he thought were cruel and random really have purpose and meaning. And through that, he rediscovers his faith in God. And I think, you know, I think for those that struggle with their faith, that are deconstructing their faith, this is this is a tough one, right? To, to see God's um, hidden plan, to see it, to, to know that he is working, that he can work in everything, but to also recognize that he sometimes doesn't work in things. I think we have to recognize that as well. But there is this beautiful idea that we see that God is able to weave all of our life circumstances together to create a wonderful tapestry that accomplishes his purposes. That he can take things that that were meant for evil, that were done through evil, and still do incredible things that accomplishes his plan. That God thwarts nations is an encouragement. It's something that we need to acknowledge but we also need to acknowledge um, that, that, that thwarting, <laughs> um, the time is differential, right? That it, the time is not always in our timing. That the times that we want him to thwart, thwart away, God, thwart, thwart. It doesn't seem that he's doing it. But uh, we have to trust that the present um, isn't always um, the immediate, right? Um, the present is a little different for God, but that's where we hold firm that God is with us in the present. And so that joy that God's plan stands firm. That's what we hold to. Point number three um, is this, is that we find joy by acknowledging God's watchfulness in our lives. It's kind of an interesting point, but that we acknowledge God's watchfulness in our lives. Let's, let's look at uh, 33 again, verses 13 through 15. From heaven... The Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do. Right? 
Um, this this verse continues in the present tense, right? Yeah, but it shifts focus to an individual level. That it's no longer a communal, but he's, he's focusing now to the tree, right, in the forest. That he's focusing to us. That God has formed every heart and can see inside each of us. And and though this is kind of a scary thought, um, I like to think it also brings comfort. Um, that God not only sees our hearts, he sees our actions. God is concerned with our concerns. Some people believe that God is too busy running the world to care about our little struggles. Um, but this psalm shows that that is not true. What's kind of interesting about this this little this psalm is um, it's written from a, a, um, a very immature understanding of God. Um, and here, here's what I mean by this, right? This was written... Hundreds of years before Pentecost, right? This was written before we we understand the idea that the Holy Spirit indwells of us, that we are now the temples of God, that that God um, in His craziness lives in us, that He's always with us. And so, what we this message we see in thirteen through fifteen um, is even more true now than when it was written. That. That you know they they had this concept that God sat on this throne up in the heaven up in the skies right and He's looking down and we recognize now that that's not true right we understand that that heaven is not above you know it's not in space right it's not it's not up there but it's in this other dimension right but that He that He is is He's not just out and about and just kind of looking down on us but He now lives in us and so. Um, I want you to kind of just kind of reflect on that, right? Because that's kind of that's kind of out there. That's kind of a harder thing. So, which um, which of the following best describes your attitude towards God's watchfulness of us? Um, is, does it, it terrifies me because I'm afraid of His disapproval? It brings me joy because I know He's taking care of me, or it terrifies me when I'm being disobedient to Him, but comforts me when I'm walking in His ways. That's kind of an interesting one. It brings me joy even when I know He disapproves because that shows He cares for me. Or is there another way that you think about it? But however it is, I want you to think about the the attitude that best you know that you your attitude that you have towards God's watchfulness, and kind of ask these questions: What does your choice tell you about your view of God, and what does it tell you about your view of yourself? I think those are you know in this point, I think those are things that we need to to think through. And finally, point number four: that we find joy by anticipating. God's mighty power, that we find joy by anticipating God's mighty power. And so we go back to Psalm 33, picking up in 16, 16 through 22 is what we're going to read here. It says, no king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in the hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In Him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. And so this verse shifts to the future tense, right? That the usual things we place our hope in, you know, they're using languages of, of, of horses and, and, and armies and all this stuff, you know, things that, that brought power, that, that, that if you had more horses, more chariots in the battle, that you were, you're almost destined to win, that those are the things that you, you would spend your time on, that you'd make sure that you had protection, right? But the usual things we place our hope in, he also says they're unreliable. Um, even the things that people usually look for, for security is an illusion. 
right? Um, horses, we can we can laugh at them and say, "How silly of you to think that a horse was your security," right? <laughs> and look at us as we have uh, safes with guns in them, and we have four hundred one ks with lots of money in them, and we have whatever it else we put our hope in as security. We hear that they're unreliable. And verses 18 through 22 refer to God's unfailing love. And this is an incredible word here, his hesed, H-E-S-E-D. There's some great, um, great Hebrew word. If you want to do a word study, I encourage you to look up the word hesed. It's this concept of covenant love. This idea that our hope for God's mighty power in our lives is linked to God's covenant love. The idea that Christians have entered into a covenant relationship with God and God will do everything he has promised to do in our lives and he has the power to do it. And so we find joy by anticipating the mighty power that God promises to bring to this world, to our lives, to all of eternity. And so Psalm 33 encourages us to find joy in our relationship with God, not in our circumstances. Unlike joy that is based on circumstances, joy found in God lasts forever. By remembering God's voice from the past, looking for his plan and watchfulness in the present, and anticipating his power in the future, lasting joy, that that train-like joy can be found. In the Bible... um, it promises, you know, in, in Philippians 4, 4 and James 1, 2, that you, James 1, 2 through 3, you can find this idea of, of um, joy, even in the craziest of circumstances. You know, in James 1, 2, it says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, right? That you find joy in um, those moments that don't seem like you can find joy. In Philippians 4, simply says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice in always, right? Always, not just in the good, not just in the bad, but always. That there's that steadiness of what it means to find joy. So joy is a permanent possession while happiness is fleeting, right? We brought that up, you know, Colt brought that up today, this idea that, that a lot of times what we find joy in is the things that give us comfort, but those things aren't per, aren't permanent. They're not, they're just there. They're just fleeting. And joy stays, but happiness comes and goes. C.S. Lewis is an incredible writer. If you haven't read his stuff, go do it. He has several books out there, but the surprise, you know, surprise of joy a couple quotes that I love from, from C.S. Lewis when it comes to talking about joy. And the first one is this. Let's see here. Can I pull it up? If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life. But if you want joy, you must get close to it or even into it. The thing that has them. They are not a sort of a prize which God could, if he chose, just hands out to anyone. And so we talked about that if we seek joy, that it's not something that we possess, but it's just something we get near, that we get into, and that is into God. And the last one, the last one I love is this one. It says, dance and game are frivolous, unimportant down here, for down here is not their natural place. 
Here they are a moment's rest from the life we were placed here to live. But in this world, everything is upside down. That which, if it could be prolonged here, would be a truancy, is likest that which in a better country is the end of ends. Joy is the serious business of heaven. And so the idea that when we seek joy, that we understand that joy is heaven on earth, that the joy that we find, the dancing, the singing, the laughter, the hugs, the kisses, the, the family moments, those things are just glimpses of what is truly happening in the eternal realm with God in heaven, right? That joy is heaven on earth. And so, may we be people who seek heaven through joy. Have a great day. Grace and peace.